Never trust that guy. That's what I've heard. <laughs> no, Christine and I are looking forward to being a part of that church by giving. And, and I hope that you'll join us in what God's doing in Ferguson. Because, you know, there are some things. And I, and I think that church that we just heard that story about is one of these things that can only be explained by the power of Jesus. And yet it's a weird thing to say about a guy who lived and died 2,000 years ago. Right? And who lived out most of his life in relative obscurity, in irrelevant towns on the edge of the Roman Empire. How, how did he have such an impact? Because you think about it, he didn't have any of the things at his disposal that we have to make an impact. I mean, he didn't have a social media presence, right? He didn't have a podcast audience, clever videos, a, a website. He didn't even really have the resources that you used in the first century to make an impact. Jesus didn't hold the political office. He, he wasn't a national leader. He wasn't a general of an army. He never wrote a book. He didn't come from a powerful family. I mean, the locals called him illegitimate. His mother was a poor peasant. His father, a common laborer. Jesus, uh, he, he didn't get an elite education. He didn't ever get married. He never had kids. He never owned a home. In other words, he never had the things in his life that we kind of commonly think of as success. His family thought he was crazy and tried to shut him up. The public turned against him. His followers abandoned him. One betrayed him and another denied him. He was rejected by the religious. He was hunted by the powerful. He was persecuted by his enemies. How did this man have such an impact? He eventually stood before an unjust jury and had an unjust trial. He was publicly humiliated. He was brutally beaten. He was unfairly executed. Finally, a few of his followers had to borrow a grave in order to bury him. And yet it's this man, Jesus, who changed history. It's Jesus who changed our calendar from B.C. to, to A.D. It's Jesus who is the one that is the most talked about, written about, discussed person in history. And for good reason, because it's Jesus that gave us both human dignity and human rights. It's Jesus who single-handedly transformed humility from a vice, and now it's considered a virtue. It's Jesus who elevated the value of people. He elevated the value of women and children and the poor and the foreigner. It's Jesus' followers who in his name fought against slavery and started orphanages and schools and hospitals. You ever wonder why places like St. Jude that, that do so much good for people, why are they always named after Christian saints? Why don't you have any hospitals named after atheists or Instagram influencers or, or actors? How is it possible, though, that this man, Jesus, is the one who changed history, who is the one who is the center of history, who is the only truly a leader of a truly worldwide faith? It's not complicated. It's not complicated at all. The only reason that Jesus had the impact he, he did, the only reason anybody remembers him, the only, people, only reason that people all around the world worship him this morning is because of the resurrection, because the tomb was empty. The resurrection is not an idea. It's not a symbol. It's a historical fact. 
And because it's a historical fact, the resurrection is what separates Christianity from every philosophy, every religion, every faith. Jesus was resurrected 2,000 years ago, and yet today still people have hope in him. It happened 2,000 years ago, but it's still bringing hope today. So that today, there are Christians in China who celebrate Easter with us, even though they do it in house churches, quietly, trying not to be detected by an atheistic, totalitarian government that wants to stamp them out. Today, we celebrate a risen Jesus with Christians in Africa, some of whom are on the run for their life from Islamic fundamentalists, and many others stare down unspeakable prof, uh, poverty. But they too worship a risen Christ with us. Today, we celebrate Easter with Christians in Ukraine who are avoiding bombs and burying their dead, but proclaiming that Jesus is alive. Today, we celebrate uh, Easter with Christians all around the world, some rich and some poor, people of every race and ethnicity, people who face all kinds of different pressures, who live in different cultures, but who all have this in common. In the middle of trying circumstances, in the middle of trying to live their life out in a broken world that is often filled with pain, they give their allegiance. They put their hope in a living king. And yet there is a difference it turns out to be a very big difference between the fact of the resurrection and our personal experience of its power and hope in our life. Luke 24 tells us about two of Jesus's early followers. They're walking from Jerusalem to a small town called Emmaus. The crucifixion had, a couple, uh, had happened a couple days ago. Some people think this uh, couple was, was married Maybe they were friends. We're not exactly sure. But listen to the conversation that they had and notice the gap between the fact of the resurrection and the hope that it brings. Luke 24. Now, the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. But now notice this. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, well, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still. Their faces were downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Well, what things, he asked. Well, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they were crucified. But we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Huh. See, the resurrection has happened. These men, now they don't know it, but they're talking with Jesus. And yet, they don't experience any of the power, any of the hope of the resurrection in their life. 
because they were prevented from recognizing who Jesus was, they think he's dead, and therefore they remain downcast, and they remain disappointed. And all their disappointment is summed up in that little phrase, but we had hope. We had hoped things would be different, but their hopes, their hopes died when Jesus was crucified. And I bet every person in this room, every person who is watching at home, you can identify with these two people because you too have had hopes for your life, hopes for your health, hopes for your kid, hopes for this world. And those hopes haven't become a reality. I bet you can identify with them because we've all hoped at one point or another that our life would turn out different than it has in 2017, a man named Yuval Harari wrote a book called Homo Deus. It just means humanity is God. And the title kind of summed up his point. That we used to need God in the past because we weren't in control of things. But now, modern people are in control and therefore we don't need God. Now, this is the kind of book that ends up on a New York Times bestseller list. It's the kind of book that's talked about in the Academy and in all the important magazines. So remember, it was written in 2017. Let's take a look. At the dawn of the third millennium, humanity wakes up to an amazing realization. Most people rarely think about it, but in the last few decades, we've managed to rein in famine, plague, and war. Remember, 2017. Of course, these problems have not been completely solved. They're a little bit humble, but they have been transformed from incomprehensible and uncontrollable forces of nature into manageable challenges. We don't need to pray to any God. I mean, who needs that? Or any saint to rescue us from them. We know quite well what needs to be done in order to prevent famine, plague, and war. And we usually succeed in doing it. Now, since he wrote that, since it got all the attention and all the acclaim and all the people nodding their heads, like this was really wise stuff, six million people have worldwide have died from a pandemic. There's a war raging in Europe that threatens to expand to encompass more countries. And that war is causing uh, horrible acts of evil. War crimes that you've seen, food shortages, and famine. So, so we had hoped that we were now conquering plagues and famine and war. We hoped that human beings would continue to get better and better, that moral improvement would make us better people. But instead, instead we're continually surprised by the evil that human beings are capable of. Now, don't get me wrong, human beings can do amazing things. I mean, just think of all the technological advances that have happened that 50 years ago would have been absolutely incomprehensible whether it's in healthcare or smartphones or information technology, the advancements have been shocking. And yet, and yet the, the, the microchip has nothing to say to discontentment or depression or despair or to drug abuse or to addiction or to the loneliness that has come to characterize modern life. See, the, the human dilemma is that we don't just have to try to figure out the problem out there somewhere. The human dilemma is that the problem is often in here. We don't need to solve what's out there. We, we need to solve what's in here also. 
Billie Eilish. Some of you are familiar with her, uh, some not. She's an extremely popular uh, uh, artist. She, she said this. Now, her, her uh, t- uh, newest album out last year is called Happier Than Ever, which is completely ironic given the vibe of the song. The first track is called Growing Older. Now, she's 20, so keep that in mind. Uh, but she's growing older. But, but listen to what she says. Listen to what, 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 what she is. Because she gets something. She might only be 20, but she gets something about the human condition. Things I once enjoyed just keep me employed now. Things I'm longing for, someday I'll be bored of. I don't think I knew that when I was 20. I don't think I could put my finger on it then. But, but she's saying something that, that, that captures what we all feel and experience. We had hoped that we'd be more content with whatever our life was. We had hoped that we'd be happier. Instead, well, instead we face a mental health crisis. 1947, this book, The Age of Anxiety, it won the Pulitzer Prize. Yeah, I mean, the highest award that a book like this could ever hope to obtain. The Pulitzer Prize, 1947. You probably haven't read it, but you might wonder, is the author a prophet? The Age of Anxiety, was he talking about his day or our day? Because if you had to say what our day is characterized, it is the age of Anxiety, that captures our cultural moment. Just this uh, last issue of The Atlantic had an article, Why American Teens Are So Sad. If you have teens or if you, you uh, are a teen yourself or grandkids or just friends, I, I'd read it. Because one of the things it says in there is that, is that 44% of high school students say that they persistently feel Sad or hopeless. 44%. By almost every measure, every way you can measure it, across every demographic of of high school students, mental health is a serious issue. And the article, it gives lots of reasons that I I think are, are, are interesting, provocative. But the one that stood out to me is the one that said that this mental health crisis is, is passed on from their parents. That of course, there are lots of factors, but, but, but one thing they have in common is that, is that oftentimes they are inheriting their anxiety from their parents. See, see, we had hoped, we had hoped that we'd find peace. Instead, we self-medicate. We had hoped that, that the, the, the medical field would have, would have someone to fix us. Maybe it'd all be covered by insurance, Right? But it turns out there's, there's no pill that can cure what ails the human heart. We had hoped. Jesus offers an unfailing hope. Jesus offers a hope that never disappoints. In 1 Peter 1, it's called a living hope. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead so that your faith and hope are in God. See, the resurrection is the only hope that will not fail you because it is not based on you. The resurrection is not based on human goodness or scientific advancement or technological achievement or a doctor's prescription or social progress. 
but it's rooted in God so that our faith and hope are in something bigger than us, someone bigger than us. God offers us a hope that is rooted in the most explosive, the most powerful event in human history. And that is the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But, but remember, remember those two, two followers of Jesus who have left Jerusalem and are walking to Emmaus and having this conversation. Because remember, there is, a, there is a gap, a wide gap between the fact of the resurrection and experiencing the hope of it. Jesus had ridden, risen, but they were downcast and disappointed. And my guess is that you and I, there is a gap of the fact of the resurrection in our personal experience of its power and hope in our life. I, I, I bet there's a gap between those. Because the things that we have put our hope in, they have failed us. Now, don't you dare think for a moment that Jesus failed you. But the things that you hoped in, that human beings would get better, that you'd be happier, that there would be a medicine to fix yourself, that, that the world had conquered its problems, that, 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 that we would be at peace with ourselves and our life, that was never God's hope for us. We put our hope in things that could be taken away from us. Jesus offers a hope that is unfailing. See, Jesus' resurrection, it puts our life in perspective because it says that because he was resurrected, so too are all those who put their hope, their faith in him. That we too will be resurrected, which means that your life now, well... Your life now, because you'll be resurrected, is kind of like the first chapter of this story that God is writing for your life. Your life here, it's probably not even like the first chapter. It's like the first page or maybe it's more like the first paragraph or the first sentence in the story that God is writing. It's like your life here and now, it's like the first word on the first sentence in the first paragraph of the first page or the first chapter of the story that God is writing for you. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, you can be confident that you too will be raised. And because of that, you don't need to win now. You don't need to win now. It means that, that you can live your life of sacrificial service, radical generosity on the behalf of, of other people because you know that in Jesus, you have an eternity of joy. See, the resurrection means that, that you can, can look at death and, and, and have hope because you know that death doesn't get the last word. The last word belongs to God. The resurrection means that you can look at this broken world and you can work for justice. You can work for those who are in need because you are confident that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, he too will one day renew this world. He will come back to fix what's wrong with the world and to fix what's wrong with us. So what about you? What about you? I mean, there are things that you had hoped for. Well, where do you turn when the things you hoped for fail you? How will you experience joy? How will you experience joy when you've only been given months to live? Or how will you experience peace when, when life is falling apart? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. 
How will you experience the deep abiding life that God has promised when you have miscarriage after miscarriage? What will you do when your life's pretty good? I mean, to be honest, you're embarrassed to complain about it. You say, whatever problems I have, they're first world problems. And yet I feel hollow. And yet I feel empty inside. And yet I keep asking myself, is, is, is this all there is? What do you turn? Hey, Tish Harrison Warren, she says this, Jesus' resurrection is the sole evidence, the sole evidence that love triumphs over death, that beauty outlives horror, that the meek will inherit the earth, that those who mourn will be comforted. The reason I can continue watching and waiting, even as the world is shrouded in darkness, is because the things I long for are not rooted in wishful thinking or religious ritual, but are as solid as a stone rolled away. Don't build your hope on things that can be taken from you. Don't build your hope on, on yourself. Don't build your hope on human ingenuity or human progress. Build your hope on that which is immovable. Build your hope on that which can never be taken away. Build your hope on God. Build your hope on the, this fact that Jesus has risen from the dead, that the tomb is empty, that he brings life out of death, that hope wins because Jesus is alive. Amen. Those two followers of Jesus, as they kept going down the road talking with him, he finally stopped and shared a meal with them. 
And as they were eating that meal, he broke bread. And as soon as he broke bread, their eyes were opened and they realized that it was the risen Christ they were talking with. There's something about this table, breaking bread, that allows us to see Jesus it may be the most powerful way possible for you and me. We see his love and his mercy and his forgiveness and his hope and his joy that can be ours in him through faith. On the night before Jesus was crucified, he shared a meal with the disciples and at the end he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. If you'll take here and hold it for just a moment. With the bread that we eat, we remember Jesus Christ is our sure hope. Take and eat in faith. And then Jesus took some wine and he poured it into a cup and he said, this is my blood. Pour it out for the forgiveness of sins. With the cup we drink, we remember Jesus Christ is making all things new. Take and drink. Let's pray together as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen.